I didn't sleep well last night. Uh, nothing in particular. Just kind of woke up and was like awake. Wasn't really anxious, but just was awake. Fell back asleep, got up again this morning. And uh, then I thought about uh, Jesus, who was up all night. Didn't sleep <laughs> at all between the Last Supper and where he would be this morning. Uh, after the Last Supper, he went with his disciples to the garden, and then he was arrested. Uh, then he was taken from place to place on this uh, sham of a trial. And where we're going to look at today is when he goes before Pilate. And we're really just going to look at one little aspect of his conversation with Pilate. But if you've got a Bible, you can open up to John chapter 18. And um, we're going to be bouncing around the scriptures a little bit, but we're going to really look at this verse, verse 36, John 18, uh, verse 36. But let me, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I just pray uh, that you would meet us today, that we would be encouraged by your kingdom, um, that we would be encouraged by your death for us, and that we would be reminded that it is finished on our behalf. In your name we pray, amen. All right, uh, just a little bit about Pilate. He's a Roman governor in charge of, um, of the Jerusalem area. And uh, Rome is the oppressive government that has ruling over uh, Israel. And he is in charge of that area. But uh, the section between him and Jesus is just full of so much irony. Because uh, Pilate, he is the governor, but he leaves the governing to others. Uh, his wife recognizes the truth about Jesus. God speaks to her in a dream, but he does not. In fact, he looks at Jesus and goes, what is truth? Uh, he knows that Jesus is innocent and not worthy of death. He tries to wash his hands, but is completely hypocritical. Um, and so we're, here we have this man who judges with injustice on the judgment seat before the true judge, Jesus. <laughs> Irony. Pilate tries to wash his hands of Jesus' blood, but the only thing that can truly cleanse him is being cleansed in Jesus' blood. More irony. He's the local governor who is losing control of the crowd, but he stands before the true king who is still in control even up to his death. And he's wrongly sitting in judgment over the one that God has asserted as right. So it's just full of irony, this interaction between Pilate and Jesus and, and Pilate himself. Uh, is, there's a lot of irony in his position as governor. But in the midst of all this, one of Pilate's concerns with Jesus is if he... If he does deliver him over to be crucified, is there going to be some sort of violent uprising? Is, uh, are his disciples going to be angered and start a revolution that then he will have to, qu to quell? He doesn't want to have to deal with that. And so he gets into this conversation with Jesus, trying to figure out um, kind of where this is going. And Jesus says this really curious statement in verse 36. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. I want to talk a little bit about the kingdom of God, specifically uh, as it pertains to us as the people of God and as it pertains to Good Friday and the king going to the cross. There's been a lot of confusion over even this statement when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. 
What he means by that is that his, his kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world, for it doesn't originate in this world because the king of the kingdom comes from somewhere else. But uh, just because Jesus says my kingdom is not of this world, it doesn't mean that his kingdom isn't in this world. It actually is in present in the world. In fact, Jesus will say in Luke 17 um, that his kingdom, my kingdom is among you. It's, it's, it's here, it's present. Richard Pratt's been really helpful in helping uh, me understand just the kingdom of God. And there's two aspects to it, really. One, one is this, God is king. He is sovereign over everything in his creation. Everything is under his control. And yet there is this sense uh, where the, the throne room of God uh, and the rebellion on earth, there's a disparity between that, right? So things are not on earth as they are in heaven. Uh, humankind doesn't go, God, uh, your will be done on earth as it, as it is in heaven. In fact, we shake our fists at God before we are redeemed in Christ. And so there's this real disparity between God's throne room and the rebellion of humanity on earth. And Pratt writes this, the hope that scripture presents from cover to cover is that this disparity between the heavenly throne room and earth will be eliminated one day. God will judge the wicked and will bring redeemed humanity into a new creation. When this transformation takes place, only God's kingdom will stand and voluntary obedience to him will extend to the ends of the earth as it does in heaven. Uh, so part of the narrative of scripture is the rejoining of heaven uh, to earth, to, to the kingdom of God coming. And that's exactly what Jesus announces throughout his ministry. He talks about the kingdom of God often. Matthew 4.23, he says, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. What is that good news of the kingdom? What's the gospel of the kingdom? Barry Henning writes, it is the good news that God in his great love has come to redeem a people for himself through the work of Jesus Christ, who will be set free from their bondage to sin and enabled through the gift of his spirit to become a people of justice, mercy, and humble walk with God. That's Micah 6.8. We announce the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom, just like Jesus did. In Luke, he does this by doing justice and preaching grace. You know, as, as the church, we don't talk much about the kingdom of God because the, the, that phrase shows up pretty heavy in the Gospels. And then it does show up in Paul's epistles and Paul's writings. But we really don't know what to do with it. Uh, but just because we don't know what to do with it doesn't mean that we're not responsible for being citizens of God's kingdom. Throughout the book of Acts, the good news of the kingdom continued to be preached by the apostles. Acts 8.12 says, But when they believed, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. So he wasn't just preaching salvation with Jesus, although he was preaching that. He was preaching about the good news of the kingdom of God from heaven coming to earth through the ministry of Jesus. In fact, we get this picture of Paul at the end of his life preaching the kingdom of God. In Acts 28, verse 30 through 31, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so we see this theme of the kingdom of God doesn't, isn't just in, in the ministry of Jesus, but it's in the early church. This was a focal point. This was something that they preached about, the kingdom of God. In fact, uh, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, so what is that kingdom? Well, the kingdom is a king's domain, the, the place that is ruled by a king. Uh, God's kingdom is his place of rule, but it's not tied to any particular geographic location. Rather, his place of rule is in the hearts of people who have submitted to the king. As I said earlier, Luke 17, 21, the kingdom of God is within you. So what are the values of that kingdom? Well, we get a few different places. We already talked about Micah 6, 8. What does he require of you, O oh man? What is good to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with God? That's just not a busy work that God gives us. Those are the very things he values. He delights in justice on the earth, Jeremiah 9 says. But then Paul also writes in Romans 14 that the kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. So we begin to see that part of our, uh, part of our, uh, part of our role is to be citizens of the kingdom, to be citizens of the kingdom. Uh, but we cannot be part of the kingdom without the king, without submitting before the king, without submitting before the cross of the king. Uh, in fact, that's what Revelations 1, 5 through 6 reminds us. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. A couple things, you know, if we really are citizens of a kingdom, it's a it's a good reminder to us that, that this whole Christianity thing is not just me and Jesus. It's not just my relationship with Jesus. We are part of a people who are here on earth to represent the kingdom of God. And part of that kingdom has already come through the ministry of Jesus and through the ministry of the church, and it will be fully realized one day when Jesus returns. Uh, but but Christianity is not about this solo relationship that you have with Jesus and, and you walk with him and you follow him. That's true, but that's only part of it. You are part of a kingdom of priests. You are God's representatives here on earth. You're living by the values that are not of this world, but part of the heavenly throne room of God. We are exhibiting the character of God on earth because we are citizens of a kingdom. That doesn't really translate for us. I, I remember hearing this um, this news article on NPR several years ago, maybe a friend told me about it, but but uh, it, it studied the language that was used in newspapers. And maybe 70 years ago, the phrase citizen was used very much in newspapers and people identified with that. But what they found as time passed, citizens began to disappear and the word consumer replaced it. And I thought, man, that is so interesting, isn't that? Isn't that how we think about Christianity in some ways? We, we think about my personal preferences and what I want to do and my walk with Jesus. And hey, everyone has a walk with Jesus. That, and that's great. But we have a calling to represent God's values here on earth as part of the kingdom.
When Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, he means this. My, kingdoms do not, my kingdom does not come through human power. It does not come through armies or resources or human might. Rather, this is, this is the irony of Good Friday. Jesus' kingdom comes through what looks like defeat, through loss of life, um, through what would look like the utter defeat of a kingdom. That's how his kingdom comes. That's how the kingdom brings, that's how the king brings his kingdom on earth. What we'll look at tonight in John 19, it's, it's, you, you can't miss it. Uh, seven or eight times Jesus is mocked as king. Like, if you're the king, if you're king of the Jews, they hang a sign over his head. But he really is the king. That's the great irony. Um, and we see that his kingdom comes through his own death, through his own suffering, through the servanthood of laying down his life. Uh, that, that's really how the kingdom comes. Uh, through Jesus' death on the cross, that we might be delivered from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the beloved Son. And that's good news today. Um, so I just want to remind you today that as we think about uh, this good news, we think about Good Friday, uh, Jesus saved you from your sins so that you could be part of the kingdom of God here on earth. One of my seminary professors used to say, God doesn't just save uh, persons. He saves persons to be part of his people, to be part of his kingdom here on earth. And so this Good Friday, just remember that, reflect on that, and receive that invitation to submit to the king again, uh, to seek to embody the values of righteousness and justice and love, uh, to be a servant just like our king served us on the cross. We're going to meet tonight at 6.30 on YouTube and Facebook for a service, Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We won't meet, um, we won't meet uh, tomorrow uh, here for the devotional. It's just a day of silence and reflection and, and just thinking about uh, Christ and what he did for us. But let me pray for us and we'll end. Lord Jesus, King Jesus, thank you that we get to be part of your kingdom. We pray uh, that you would remind us of these things today that you would refresh us uh, by what you've done for us on this Good Friday. Lord, we pray that people who don't know you would come to know you tonight as um, thousands and thousands of churches broadcast messages. Would it be unavoidable? Would, would there be people that you're drawing even this week uh, that sit and hear a message that makes the light go on for them? And they begin to see the, the, the beauty of the cross, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray for thousands and thousands of conversions today that we might see the church grow for Easter Sunday. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks everybody, have a blessed Good Friday.